has a bit of a cold, so she's sitting next to the wood stove watching right now. Hi, honey. If you don't know me, my name is Steve. I'm a member of the preaching team here at Hall Center Church, as well as a member of the team of elders. And so I get to chat with you in Ephesians today. There is a new stack of these out at the welcome desk. If you did not get a ESV journal of Ephesians and you would like one, they're out there, you can grab one. I strongly encourage you to grab one and write in it and throw question marks everywhere and, and spend time in it. So I wanna dive right in. We've got a lot to do this morning, a lot to cover. And I want, we are in the book of Ephesians. We've done some intro to the book of Ephesians. It, the church at Ephesus is a church that Paul had started and he is now writing to them from prison and we have the letter recorded and we're going through it together. And so I wanna break up where we have been so far and where we are today. I've got just a few breakouts here. Paul's talking. And in Acts 1, 3 to 14, Paul is talking to the Ephesians about God. And he talks about the blessings that we have in God. In Acts 1, 15 to 23 that we covered last week, Paul talks to God about the Ephesians. So last week was Paul's prayer for his church that he had started. And today, in Acts 2, 1 through 10, Paul is going to be talking to Ephesians about Ephesians. So if you've got your ESV journal and you want to see those breakouts, understand how Paul's done this, and note that the last two sermons that you heard were all based, each sermon was on one sentence. A lot of verses in our Bible, but in the original Greek, just one sentence. But last week, we saw in Paul's prayer that he prayed that they would know if you remember, talked about the source of power, prayed that we would know the hope that they have. He prayed that the church would know the inheritance that's waiting for them, and he prayed that they would know the power of God. And today, we're going to look at what Paul's going to tell the church that he started about themselves. And as such, this is a message that is absolutely directly at us, individually and corporately. And so I've titled today's sermon, Immeasurable. And if you've got your ESV journal or you've got your Bible, go to Ephesians 2 and camp there. It is one of the richest, most loaded passages in Scripture. I'm excited to go through it with you today, intimidated to go through it with you today. We're going to look at the first 10 verses. And I titled the sermon Immeasurable because the word keeps coming up. And it's going to show up in today's passage as well. It's a word that just keeps jumping out. And as I've been doing sermon prep, keeps making me think immeasurable. Immeasurable. Sounds like a word that you use when you just 
can't find a better one. You just, it's off the charts. And we spent some time last week digging into what that word immeasurable meant when Paul related it to God's power. We talked about God's immeasurable power. And we saw, if you recall, it's not that God is at the top of some scale. There's no scale of power that God is on. It means that any power you see anywhere, anytime, is granted by God. We saw that God has all the power. And we saw when Jesus was in front of Pilate, Jesus said that directly to him. You'd have no power unless it was granted to you by my Father. And so immeasurable is going to be used again in today's passage, but I want to use it just for the overall point of what I believe Paul is going to teach us today in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, his fundamental basic point is that the difference between what we are by nature and what we can become by grace is immeasurable. So Paul is going to dig into pessimism about man And then he's going to switch gears to the heights of optimism about God. And so it's this kind of combination of of pessimism. You're like, oh, man, Paul, why do you have to be such a downer to, wow, what amazing things to celebrate that makes the Bible so real to us. And so what Paul does in today's passage is to paint a contrast between what man is by nature and what he can become by grace. And this is what we're going to see today. And so let's let's go ahead and read. I'm just going to go right through the verses. It'll be right up here on the screen. You follow along with whatever you've got. Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Verse 2, in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show, there it is, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
And so there's some very distinct separation in today's passage, and you probably saw it as we read. And so the first thing I want us to look at, we have a a, a couple different things we're going to go through, but the very first thing I want to look at is what Paul says about us by nature in verses 1 through 3. And the first thing we want to see is what Paul's going to describe when he talks about us by nature is that it's universal. Paul's not giving a portrait of some society that we just think behaves poorly or even the corrupt pagan society of his own day of which the Ephesians were very familiar. No, what we are going to look at is the biblical diagnosis of man, woman, everywhere. And if you'd like to take verses 1 to 3 of Ephesians 2, and you know what? I'd like to dig into that a little further. Just go to Romans and read chapters 1 to 3. What Paul is doing in these first three verses, he takes three chapters in Romans to make sure that if there's any question that because you are born of Adam, because you live, breathe on this earth, that you are completely separated from Christ by your nature, from God by your nature, he makes sure that's very clear in Romans 1 through 3, and he's going to do it in a very condensed version in what we're going to look at today. And so he's going to single out, in verses 1 through 3, three truths about human beings by nature. And as we read this, we need to make sure that if you are someone that has put their trust in Christ, who no longer has any confidence in themselves for eternity to be made right with God, but your trust in Christ, this was us. And the very first thing that Paul says about us right out of the gate in Ephesians 2 is that we were dead. That's a pretty simple, short word, dead. Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It's a factual statement of everybody's spiritual condition outside of Christ. And it's traced, what Paul says, to trespasses and sins. And so trespasses and sins, we could dive into the Greek. We could take a look. It's essentially the stuff that you do and the stuff that you should do that you don't. It covers it all. Any kind of error you can make, trespasses and sins covers it, and it is what has made us dead. Put another way, before God, we are not only rebels, we're also failures. Before God, in our nature, we're rebels as well as failures. Isaiah 59.2 says this, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Yikes. By nature, we are dead. So, We should understand that a life without God, no matter how much you work out, no matter how much good food you eat, no matter how healthy you are, a life without God is a living death. And that those who live it are dead even while they're living. And to press into this, 
to say this, to understand this, is to become aware of the basic, we'll use the term, tragedy of human existence. It is this. It is that people who were created by God and for God should now live without him. Dead. Spiritually dead. Okay, we're going to see the implication of that, but I just want to make sure we start that right here. We've got three things that Paul says about us. Number one, we're dead. By nature, we're dead. Number two, we're enslaved. Paul continues on in verse two. He says, we're following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And verse 2 continues into verse 3. I don't have it right up here. It says, The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, we just saw, there is no true freedom in death. That's a pretty obvious statement. And what Paul says, no freedom there, but there's a slavery to forces that we don't have any control over. And what were they? If what is behind the death is sin, what is behind sin? And Paul's answer in this passage is one that you've heard probably before. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. These, those three come from this passage. It's kind of become ecclesiastic terminology to refer to it that way. And Paul refers to those three influences as controlling and directing, before we were in Christ, our existence. By our nature, we're enslaved to what the world wants, what we want, and Satan's control. So much to talk about there, and Paul does in other places. Keep in mind, he's condensing what he's saying right here. And so we've got Paul telling us that by our nature we're dead, we're enslaved, and third, that by our nature, Paul says, we're condemned. He says, we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. It's a bit of a downer. Paul, can you spruce it up a little bit for us? And it's interesting as you dig into this, if you do read Romans 1 through 3, if you're not familiar with your Bibles much and you decided, you know what, Steve said I should go read Romans, and you start reading Romans, you are in for a downer. You'll be like, wow, whew. But remember, when you get to Romans 3, verse 20, it says, but. We're going to see that here in a minute. So let's dig into this a, a bit. Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. First, the wrath of God. Every time I talk about the wrath of God from up here, I always need to make sure we do the split in our minds. God's wrath is not anything like your wrath. Nothing like it. It's not a bad temper, so you might fly off the handle at any moment. It's never arbitrary. 
It is God's divine reaction to only one thing, namely evil. As a result, it's entirely predictable. It's never subject to moods or whims. And Paul says that by nature, we're children of wrath, deserving of God's completely holy, completely perfect, completely just wrath. And that term you, use, you hear me say often when we see these things describing God and we also use them for us, wrath being one of them, we have to do an analogical adjustment. We have to make sure we really focus on the fact that when we talk about God's wrath, it is removed of any, any sin. It is removed of any temporality. It's removed from any whims that we might have. It's completely different. And so here's Paul's diagnosis. Outside of Christ, man is dead because of trespasses and sins enslaved by the world, the flesh, and Satan, and condemned under the wrath of God. And so I want to take a moment and have you think about whether we really, really take Paul at his word when he uses this kind of, and I'm just going to say it, negative language to describe us without Christ. When we do understand that Paul is speaking of reality, we can see that people that miss this point begin to build a naive faith in other remedies that we can chase after. If we can just get everyone educated, everything will be fine. If we could just get all the laws to just be better and, and better and better, then we'll be fine. Education and good laws are both pleasing to God, who is all about those things, but neither of those things can rescue human beings from spiritual death. Can't rescue them from spiritual death. Can't rescue them from being enslaved. Can't rescue them from being condemned. None of these even come close to solving the problem. And so education and a good society and good government are good to be sought after. But we get to add to these things something new. We get to add something new that to folks that aren't following Christ is completely strange, namely evangelism. We get to bring Christ into the picture. We have the message of being able to tell people how to be truly free. God's given us a message of good news that offers life to the dead, freedom to those enslaved, and forgiveness to the condemned. That is what matters. Everything falls under that when we look around us. And so this is what Paul now goes into. We've seen what we are by nature, right? So what we just looked at was us by nature. What are we, dead? We're enslaved and we're condemned. Ow! By nature, we're dead, we're enslaved, we're condemned. Paul's now going to look at us by grace in verses 4 through 10. 
It's like Paul's driving along and then he just jams on the brakes. Spins the car around and let's go. We're going to look at what, first, what God has done. In verse 4, it says, but God, okay? You've got to have, you've got to have that behind you. You've got to have Paul telling you, listen, by nature, here's what's going on. You're dead, you're enslaved, and you are under wrath. You're in trouble. If those, if those aren't understood, embraced, grasped, this these two words, but God, mean little. It says, but God being rich in mercy. It's two syllables, but God. So that what Paul just shared about what we are by nature, against the grace of God and what he's done. I'm just going to keep reading verses 5 and 6. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what did God do? Man, I really want to make sure you get this. <laughs> what did God do? First, in verse 5, Paul says God made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. And so from last week, if you were here, I hope you were. If you don't, you can go check it out. We saw that all the power in the world, of all of the powers in the world, there's no power greater than death. And in chapter 1, when Paul talked about the immeasurable power of God, he did not. And if you recall from last week, when Paul talked about the immeasurable power of God, he didn't say the immeasurable power of God that created the universe, that hung the stars in the sky, that brought life into being, that made the oceans and the, and the land separated. And he didn't. Paul didn't go there. That's, that's amazing. Paul goes, the immeasurable power that brought Christ from the dead. And so, when Paul talks about God's immeasurable power, he uses the resurrection. And here, Paul tells us that what God did was made us, who were dead, alive together with Christ. Do you see the same power, immeasurable power, used to raise Christ from the dead? Paul is now talking about us. And when Paul says, and hopefully, get in your Bibles, look at verse 5 there. When Paul says, you who are dead and alive together with Christ, he just goes, by grace you've been saved. That's in there, it doesn't even fit. You're like, why, what do, why, did, you, why did you put that in there? It's just, it's just Paul going, God, you've got to understand, by grace you've been saved. And he uses this term saved to wrap up everything. We're, we're no longer dead. We're no longer enslaved. We're no, other, no longer under wrath. By grace, you've been saved. 
So first, God made us alive together with Christ, the first thing he's done. The second thing, he raised us up with him. You can see it in the beginning of verse 6. And thirdly, he made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, the second half of verse 6. You see in those? Verse 6. So three things that God has done. He's made us alive, he's raised us, and made us to sit in the heavenly places. And these three things, made alive, raised, and made to sit, sound familiar? Sound familiar? Made alive, raised, and made to sit? It's exactly when God raised Jesus from the dead, what happened? He raised Jesus from the dead. He made him alive, raised him, and made him to sit at the right hand. It's normally called in church talk the resurrection, the ascension, and the session. Session, that was a word that I hadn't heard in a while. It's this Jesus seated at the right hand of, of, of God. The Apostles' Creed puts it this way. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. Made alive, raised, and made to sit. Here's what's crazy, though. Paul is not writing about Christ here. He's writing about us. He's not writing about Christ. He's writing about us. He's affirming not that God made alive, raised, and seated Christ, but that he made alive, raised, and seated us with Christ. What? Okay. And this is where we all get to sit and go, um, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? Made alive, raised, seated, what? I'm seated here. Chairs are very comfortable. This particular passage requires that we do not look at ourselves as merely physical beings, but as spiritual beings as well which is hard for us a lot of times. If we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, which is what the Bible tells us, guess what we're sitting on? We're sitting on thrones. What? This talk about how we are with Christ in his resurrection and his exaltation, it's not just weird, meaningless Christian mysticism. This is reality. That Christ has given us on the one hand a brand new life, a life with an actual awareness of the reality of God and a love for him and for his people. And on the other hand, he's given us victory with evil increasingly, increasingly under our feet. We were dead, but have been made spiritually alive and alert. We were in captivity and we've been given a throne. This just gives us the smallest taste of what Paul means when he uses the term 29 times in this letter alone, in Christ. In Christ does not just mean I go to church regularly, I now try to behave no, it's a much, much bigger, bigger reality that just makes those things shrink to almost nothing. 
This is why Paul exclaims in the middle of his statement in verse 5, by grace you've been saved. Highlight that, circle that if you're writing in your Bible or in your ESV journal. It's just like there, it's just like dropped in as this woo. So let this sink in. The difference between what we were and what we are because of what God has done is immeasurable. I'm even tempted to say incomprehensible, but we're able to get what the Bible tells us about it. This is what he's done, and not only does Paul in this passage tell us what God has done, in verse 4, Paul describes God as being rich in mercy and tells us why God did it. And right there, why has God done it? Because of the great love with which he loved us. God's love, right there. Also, God's grace, by grace you've been saved. It's in verses 5 and 8. And God's kindness, his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 7, if you've got your Bibles, check out verse 7. So that in the coming ages, this is Paul looking to the future. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We were dead and so helpless to save ourselves. Only mercy can reach helpless folks because mercy is love for the down and out. We were under God's wrath. Only love could triumph over wrath. We deserve nothing at God's hand but judgment on account of our trespasses and sins and only grace could rescue us from what we deserved. Because grace is undeserved favor. Why did God do it? Out of his sheer mercy, love, grace, and kindness. Okay? This is, this is the intro to the verse many of you learned in Awana or Evangelism Explosion or in your own uh, memory work. If you've got your Bibles, I don't have it up here, verses 8 and 9. For by grace... It's like Paul takes that exclamation he made in verse 5, and now he's like, okay, let me explain what I said back there. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Go ahead. Take some time even right now if you want and read the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter 2 and think about the part that you played in what Paul is now telling us. In the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter 2, you played one role. You're a corpse. You were a corpse.
And so if you are here today and what I am saying to you is just the wiggiest stuff you've heard. And if I were to ask you today how you think you can be made right with God, and your answer to me is, well, I'm working on it, I'm trying to become a better person, may what Paul has said today hopefully help you understand that that is just the wrong answer. There is no place no story that has you working your way to heaven. It just doesn't exist. It's not there. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 spell it out clear as day. It's by grace you've been saved. It's faith is the only thing that will save you. Not of works. You don't get to boast. And when your answer to the question of how am I going to be, how can you be made right with God, when your answer is, well, I'm going to be good enough, that's boasting. The Bible tells us boasting is excluded. Here, Paul's doing it in Ephesians. He does it in spades again in Romans. They're very much sister texts with one just amplifying the other. I love how Tim Keller puts it simply. I've got another quote from him in a second. But Keller says, if you want God's grace, all you need is nothing. If you want God's grace, all you need is nothing. And then he's got a longer quote here. He says, the gospel is this. And I think this just resounds with what we've read today. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Do you hear that? Did we just read the first four verses of this chapter and go, okay, Wow. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Amen and amen and amen. Okay, so you've got Paul laying us all out by nature and then showing, but God. Those two words, but God, are the gospel. He's the one that took the initiative. He's the one that made the plan. He's the one that has done the redeeming. We were a corpse. Mm. There's so much in these 10 verses. But I've got three takeaways and then we'll be done. Takeaway number one. After you read verses 10, verses specifically one through four of this chapter, don't be surprised by sin. How in this world, after reading what Paul just said, would be, oh my word, I can't believe that. No. People are enslaved. They're under wrath. They're dead to God. And here's what I love. Uh, Stott. John Stott, and I've, I've recommended it to you if you guys really want to dive into Ephesians. He's got an amazing book um, in the Bible Speaks Today series that he's a general editor of. This is how he starts his commentary in Ephesians 2 specifically. And he wrote this in 1979. I was nine years old. Woody was 12. I'm just kidding. He was a lot older than that. But in 1979, this is what he wrote. He said, I sometimes wonder if good and thoughtful people have ever been more depressed about the human predicament than they are today. 
1979 when everything was perfect? Ah. With what Paul has told us about mankind by nature, we should never be surprised when we see sin. We should never be surprised when we see structures that are put together by people who don't know Christ, who don't love Christ, who are all the things that we just talked, that those are going to fail and that those are going to hurt people and those are going to come to whatever. We should not be surprised when we see sin. Now, we battle it every day in our own hearts, but when we see it, we should not be incredulous. We should not be ones when we see it around the world and we see it around us that are just like fatalists. Instead, instead of being surprised by sin, takeaway number two, be like Paul, all about grace. And I mean all about grace. If you've not embraced the idea that you were dead and enslaved and condemned without Christ, being all about grace is going to be difficult. My sins and your sins in Christ in the past are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. My current struggles, your current struggles, covered. Every single one of my future failures paid in full by the grace found in the cross, the grace given to us by God. If you've got your Bibles open, just look at verse 7 again. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You, you hear that? He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And there's that word again, immeasurable. At this point, Paul's used it to describe God's power in chapter 1 and God's grace in chapter 2. There is literally nothing else that matters in this life. So when I say, be all about grace like Paul, it's got to be number one. J.I. Packer says, this one word, grace, contains within itself the whole of New Testament theology. He also says grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. And so what Jesus did when he died on the cross, he gave us life. He freed us from slavery. He forgave us and bore God's wrath on himself. That has to excite our hearts. It's got to inflame our hearts and move us. Move us to what? Takeaway number three, embrace your calling. Okay? Hopefully, you are able to walk out of here today, celebration of what God has done for us in Christ, an understanding of where we are by nature without Christ. But verse 10 ends this particular section. For we are his workmanship. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Embrace your calling. Your calling. Well, what's my calling? Paul tells us. Your calling is the works, the good works that God's prepared for you. And so I need you to hear me as we get, as, as we've looked at this very, you know, big topics about being dead and alive in Christ, that God has put you today right where you are and has prepared the good works for you to do beforehand. been around a little bit. He wants you to love those God has put around you. And he wants you to love them with the love that God has given you. He doesn't want you to walk around the unbelievers in your life with your mouth constantly agape in amazement that they could sin like that when Paul just told us this is how it's going to be without Christ. Not to be shocked by their sin, but amazed by the grace that saved you. And that allows us to embrace our calling. They don't come separate. If we are amazed by grace, if we are all about grace, we will embrace our calling. If we feel like, well, at least I'm doing pretty well, and you take any credit for this at all, it is going to show up in how you love others. Paul says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Circle that, take it home, memorize it maybe, and, and try to understand that you, in Christ, are his workmanship. Wow. So I want to close with the point we made at the beginning. The difference between what we are by nature... And what we can become by grace is immeasurable. If the singers and musicians want to come up, um, again, I've selected just an amazing song for us to sing as we close here. We're going to sing Made Alive. Listen to the opening words of this song. It's almost like it's a Bible translation. I once was dead in sin, alone and hopeless, a child of wrath I walked, condemned in darkness. But your mercy brought new life, and in your love and kindness raised me up with Christ and made me righteous. I love that we get to study this passage and then sing this song. Let's pray before we sing. Dear Heavenly Father, um, the stuff we read, Lord, it's heavy and it's joyous. May we, both individually and together as a body, never, ever, ever take credit for what you have done to save us. You have taken a corpse and you've made us alive with Christ. Raise this up and seated us 
in the heavenlies, it said. There's much to plumb here, much to understand, Lord, much that we, that we, we would consider mystery. We just haven't figured it out yet. But we praise you for the fact that we have life. We praise you for the fact that we're not enslaved, and we praise you for the fact that we no longer are under wrath because Jesus paid that penalty for us. And even as we sing today, Lord, may we do it with rejoicing in our hearts for the truth of what you've saved us from. In Jesus' name, amen.